Hello and welcome to our October CIO update. I'm Richard Edgar and I spoke earlier to Fidelis' Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey. In this catch-up, we cover the role of confidence in the race to recovery, how robust he thinks the US economy is ahead of a turbulent election, and where investors should be looking for income, as some worry about inflation. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Richard. Welcome to you. Now, last month, we were talking about the resilience of companies, what it means and how to spot it. How would you apply that framework to economies? Because there are some recoveries going on in markets, but the COVID-19 pandemic is affecting different parts of the world in different ways, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think um, uh, you know, it is a very good point that I'm um, looking at how different countries have been able to um, manage their ability to get back to levels of activity more broadly across their economies and and the ways in which they've done that. I think um, when you look around the world, it is clear that uh, we have had actually quite a more significant bounce back than maybe uh, we and many expected um, in terms of that sort of more V-shape uh, improvement in activity in uh, in many countries, but where it's really noticeable that it has um, been sustained and also I think kept um, the concerns around COVID somewhat better managed is looking out to China to parts of Asia. Partly I think through uh, the elements of how they incorporated technology. Partly again through society's um, uh, you know, behaviour and impact and the way that um, uh, governments moved but also that um, uh, the degree to which they have you know, very quickly incorporated it into company life and into um, activity and ways in which they've been able to um, uh, very quickly adjust. Now, I think uh, you know, we have seen good and um, sustained uh, activity in many areas um, for uh, you know, European, for the UK and for the US. The challenge is that the impact across the economy and the, and the changes between parts of the economy you know, look to have been in some ways even more profound. And so um, you know, what you're finding is that certain sectors, as we've discussed previously, are you know, really continuing to, to struggle. And um, the light at the end of the tunnel still seems to be some way away. Um, when we look to things like travel, challenges for you know, hospitality um, uh, and the like, um, but I think that uh, you know, the other part to, to bear in mind for countries is the degree to which they can generate confidence. And I think that's one of the big things is that when you look to, to Asia, this sort of confidence of being able to get on with life and, and activity, which we're seeing struggle a little bit in the US and in parts of uh, Europe, especially. And, and that confidence is being reflected in share markets. Do you expect the lack of confidence that um, you're perhaps implying in some other economies, that that will be reflected in, um, in, in markets as well, but obviously uh, negatively? So I think there, there will be over time, because uh, I think look to, uh, to, to Asia uh, again, that you know, we have some long-term trends that are very favorable there. Uh, you know, when you think about the demographics, but the development of um, wealth, of that activity and productivity um, that we uh, see coming from that increase in domestic consumption, domestic resilience um, that we've seen. And, and, you know, I've spoken about China and just how significant the reform plan and the focus on to resilience for the domestic economy, uh, you know, has been a key factor and I think is going to be considerably impacting in the, the years ahead. 
when we sort of take that back and uh, look to um, other parts of the, the, the world, that we don't have those same underlying trends. So it, it's much more about the intervention, the confidence of what these levels of uh, you know, intervention by governments uh, can be both sustained um, and the degree to which they will generate you know, an outcome that will um, be positive. Let me steer you specifically to the US then, because um, obviously the political situation in America has been really quite dramatic um, over the past week or so. How resilient is that economy then as we um, head, we're into the, the final straits now before the, um, the election at the beginning of November? Yeah, so it's, it's been an amazing um, period when you think of the recent years and the confidence in financial markets around um, uh, the US. But a lot of that, I think, has been driven by ongoing levels of, you know, we've defined as stimulus, but they've been intervention to stop um, the economy stuttering and declining. And I think this is the, the subtle point where we have markets at the moment that in reality have taken on a very significant, I think, uh, you know, view of uh, you know, reflation is coming. So that the recovery has looked more V-like initially. Uh, you know, my colleague Roman Boucher has spoken um, about the, the K economy and that uh, sort of difference between different parts of the economy. But importantly, it's led to this expectation that stimulus will continue um, and that reflation will um, uh, you know, follow through as a sort of normal early cycle. My, my challenge around that is that several things. One is that, as we saw, the US having got markets excited that we could get a deal done, there would be stimulus coming quickly, that um, President Trump has all of a sudden said that that won't be happening for the election. And that introduced another risk, which is you know, what happens around the election and, and whether it's contested, and so how long before you could then look for uh, stimulus to feed in. We've had, obviously, the chairman of uh, the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, also speaking that stimulus is required, and yet that's not coming, and that you know, the Fed, in its behaviour, has actually tended to, after that uh, initial surge, as we saw through Q2, that activity and the growth in um, the monetary base and, uh, uh, has actually levelled off. You know, there's a number of factors here that mean that, although Mark's excited about it, reflation, actually the dynamics at the moment mean that um, it's a bit more precarious. And if activity, as we're seeing for it through, again, surprise indices where we had expectations build up, analysts looking for better outcomes, that they're just starting to, to uh, you know, they've rolled over, but now we're starting to see that, you know, slightly weaker data as with the recent uh, employment data. What you could find is that some of that confidence really does start to um, uh, erode as uh, they're not getting all of those expected flow through to the reflation story uh, forthcoming. And so uh, markets having to um, take that on board. It really is quite a contrast with, with China, that, that distinction that you, um, you, you started with. What are you looking at in particular in Chinese markets that reflects the, the, the confidence that investors, that investors have? Yeah, so I, I think that um, this goes through into looking at some of the domestic consumption orientated parts of the uh, economy that, you know, if we look back um, maybe into to Q2, that uh, as we were seeing activity pick up in China, uh, we'd seen some really interesting um, uh, numbers coming through in some of uh, things like car dealers, how quickly they were responding. Now, maybe that's partly concerns around public transport, uh, a hope for um, uh, you know, getting back into activity, so uh, generating more footfall there. But it's been interesting to see that how this has continued to flow through, and you're seeing it into other areas of broader consumption uh, now that uh, suggests that you know, it's, it's on a, a relatively sound um, footing. But the other part I also think that's very interesting is, is 
you know, I've spoken about the government reform and that desire for resilience and, and creating more of um, uh, that sort of you know, domestic economy uh, uh, resilience um, for China, but also the PVOC um, started to be just a little bit more um, you know, stimulative at the, the margin, that, but still being remarkably, uh, I think, sort of you know, stable in approach, not being highly stimulative as we saw um, uh, elsewhere around the world. But obviously the currency um, having um, rallied the way it has versus the dollar and the broader weighted um, uh, indices having uh, improved that they can give a little bit more stimulus. And I think that this brings back to another part, which is very um, important about China, is that the bond market continues to grow and become a much more important, uh, you know, I think ultimately benchmark um, type market you know, for the region, um, but also you know, with the introduction into global indices that we're going to find that capital being attracted to these higher yields and to the stability of China is going to increase in the, the years ahead. There is, um, as you say, an awful lot on at the moment. Um, part of your job is to talk to, uh, to clients. And I wonder what's on their minds at the moment. What are the questions that you're getting from them um, as they survey the, the picture that you've just described? Yeah, so I, I think that um, uh, obviously it depends on where the, the client's um, you know, main needs are. But obviously, if, if you're still generating cash flow, then it's how do you accumulate and generate um, growth um, for your portfolio? And that uh, you know, still tends to bring in conversations of looking to longer term asset uh, allocation uh, you know, that can generate growth. And so that bias um, towards and also the themes that we've discussed that um, obviously top of the list is thinking through sustainability climate impacts and how to um, invest to uh, you know, support but also benefit um, from that. But there's also focus on to connectivity, um, on to uh, you know, some of the consumer and consumption um, trends that come with that. But, but I think when we look at the bigger needs and where we see most of the questions, it's really around how do I generate income? Um, and how do I think about protecting my portfolio if we see inflation start to truly pick up or that um, deflation starts to uh, flow through again? And I think one of the challenges in, in that is looking that, um, you know, we have government bond markets that are very low yielding or negative um, you know, yielding. And that really sort of raises my point about looking to somewhere like um, China, but also then uh, looking for different ways of generating income today, but income over time. And that's where I think it's important to think in not just uh, looking to debt in both public and private markets, but looking to equities and um, that growth of uh, income through time, but also into ways you can combine that. And so looking to longer term assets that um, would include uh, you know, real estate infrastructure. And so thinking in that more multi-asset asset allocation framework just on the deflation, inflation, I think we've seen um, you know, good recovery in certain markets. You know, as we discussed at the middle of the year, that, you know, how well tips have performed. Um, but I think that you're seeing other ways in thinking through how do I structure a portfolio with, in effect, saying that the 60-40 um, is going to be challenged looking the forward. The 60-40 split between equities and fixed income in a traditional exactly. portfolio. Yeah, and, and thinking about predominantly that being uh, you know, sort of government bonds and um, uh, large cap equities that you know, how do we improve upon that? And I think what we're seeing now is this uh, you know, more of an allocation in a portfolio sense of how do I build out pockets that give me some protection when some of these last 20, 30, 40 years have worked so successfully, 
may actually not give me the level of um, protection in some of these scenarios. So, you know, starting to look to different asset classes, but also different types of, uh, you know, strategy that can explicitly play to either a very strong deflation um, uh, theme and what that would mean, or to the inflation theme. And I think this plays back again to, you know, thinking through rotation um, back into the to sort of the value argument for um, equity markets that we're seeing, you know, continually being um, you know, brought to the top of the list as investors think about where they should be positioned after such a strong tech rally. Well, Andrew, thank you very much indeed, because that brings us to the end of this CIO update. But um, you've mentioned um, inflation uh, or deflation, the great debate. And in fact, we've got a whole package of material that we're releasing on fidelityinternational.com this week. So if uh, anybody listening to this wants to find out more about that, then that's where to go to see that um, that work. You can also listen to more from Fidelity's investment brains on our sister podcast, Fidelity Answers. Just search for Fidelity Answers wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, The producer today was Seb Morton-Clark with production support from Alex Wilcox, but from all of us at Fidelity International, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of Fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.